Welcome to Colorado State University's new podcast, The Audit, where host Stacy Nick talks with CSU faculty about topics ranging from their latest research to current events. The iconic Pueblo Chile is having kind of a moment right now. Beloved for its meaty texture and, of course, its fiery heat, you can find the pepper in everything from salsas and hot sauce to beer and fudge. But if it hadn't been for an inherited seed stock and a little luck, Pueblo's most famous chili variety might have been lost forever. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Bartolo, a senior research scientist emeritus at CSU's Arkansas Valley Research Center and the innovator behind one of Pueblo's hottest crops. So, okay, I, I want to start with the story of how you got into the Pueblo chili business. It sounds like uh, we have you and your uncle to thank for it, uh, what we now know as the Pueblo chili. The production of chilies was a long progression of multi-generations contributing to the development of the Pueblo chili, and that certainly was the case in the Pueblo area. The Pueblo chili came into the area in the early 1900s as a land raised form that we historically called the Mirasol, Mirasol meaning looking at the sun type chili. So that was the kind of the historical land race of chili that had been grown in there for many, many years. And many of the families that farmed in that area, many of them immigrated from Italy, produced that, including my family. And so they produced that year after year after year and began selecting and saving their own seed. And over generations, they actually developed their own land race of this Pueblo Mirasol chili. Now, really what started this other kind of side shoot is that I was away at college in 1988, and that's when my uncle passed away, but I was still going to graduate school at the University of Minnesota. It just so happened when I graduated, and then I happened to start in my new position right here with Colorado State University in 1991. So it just so happened I ended up working at the Arkansas Valley Research Center here in Rocky Ford, which is only about 45, 50 miles away from where I grew up. When I came here, my dad had then gave me a a bag of seed that my uncle had grown. It was stored in his garage. And uh, he said, well, here's the, some extra seed. You, you know, you're the horticulturalist here. You can have it. And I had no idea. I had no plans. I had no aspirations to be a pepper breeder, but I, I had some extra room in a test plot uh, the following year and I began growing it out. So I grew out four rows of that chili and, you know, looked pretty typical to what it usually was. But in that population, I was able to find one particular plant that kind of caught my attention. And I began saving that seed from that first section after, I think it took me seven or eight years of doing what we call single plant selections from that original plant. I got something that was pretty stable, pretty unique. And so from there then, I began bulking up the seed. We released it and gave it out to growers and it kind of took off from there. So it's a it's a lot of fortunate things coming in to uh, into play. A lot of that, uh, I'm not sure how much skill it is, but it's, it's a lot of fortunate things that I happened to be all in the same area and, and inherited that seed and all that came together to really produce what we now know as the uh, one of the main varieties of Pueblo chili, which is now called Moscow, named after my uncle. What do you think it is that makes the Pueblo chili so special? There's a lot of things, and, and you could you could start off with kind of these things that you can visualize. Things like it's, you know, it's got great flavor. Uh, it's got a, a, a very thick wall to it, meaning it typically used from a culinary perspective, it's roasted. And when it's roasted, you know, you want that to have a real thick wall of real meaty texture to it because it holds up to that roasting process. So it's got that. It's pretty pungent, meaning it's got a pretty high heat content. And people that like to consume a lot of chili seem to prefer that. 
And so uh, those two things from a horticultural standpoint make it important. But I think there's other things that we just hard to put your finger on what makes it so important. And I think part of it is that chili in general, and particularly this Pueblo chili, throughout the generations, even before we developed this Moscow variety, was really woven into the tapestry of the cultures here in southern Colorado, and particularly in the Pueblo area. So there's so many ethnic cultures that incorporate the chili into the foods they eat, and uh, and so many of the traditions that we share and value here in this part of the state. So that was woven into it. And so it's got some of these other characteristics that are really hard to describe, but for the most part, they become part of our culture rather than just start just a thing to provide calories. It's really part of our identity, and I think that's what makes it so special. You mentioned kind of that heat element um, earlier. How hot is the Pueblo chili on the on the Scoville scale? Hotter than uh, maybe that other chili down the road that we won't mention by name. So that it's okay to mention Hatch chili. They grow a very fine chili down there. I, everybody asks me to try to, to compare them. But a typical Hatch chili, you know, there, there's a lot of variability amongst chilies. And, you know, it it's really encompasses a, a wide range. But generally, the Pueblo chili is about 5,000 Scoville units. And so just for more of a reference, you know, obviously a bell pepper has zero. Your typical New Mexico Hatch Anaheim type chili has about 1,500, maybe 2,000 Scoville units. So it's considerably hotter, but less hot than say for a jalapeno or some of these cayenne type peppers. And the Moscow is a, it's a publicly released variety. Is that correct? Correct. So that was released out of the public in, in the early part of the 2000s, around 2002. And we just generally released it. It's an open pollinated variety and uh, decided at that time just to get it out to the public. And I believe in that kind of thing from Colorado State University's perspective is that this is a variety. It's really not widely grown like some of the other crops that we produce. It's a pretty niche crop. And so I think really to live out that land-grant mission, I, we felt it was best to get that out to the public and really help increase some of the economic impact in, into the local economy. Now, you're still working on the chili, right? The, the Moscow is of today is not exactly the Moscow of 10, 20 years ago. To me, it's, it's like this long progression. It'll never be finished. There's always uh, new things that I'm looking for characteristics and trade in chili pepper. So uh, technically I retired in December of 2021, but I have an agreement with Colorado State University that I'm going to continue to work on the chili peppers and I continue to do that. And we're always looking for a better improvement. So there's always some horticultural trait or some characteristic that we look for. Some of the things I'm looking for again is that wall thickness, a bigger fruit size, earlier maturity and flavor. We want to make sure we, we retain that characteristic flavor, that's part of our heritage is to have that full body flavors. And then we're also looking for a wider range of pungency. So it'll satisfy everybody. So I've got lines that are relatively mild, almost no heat at all, to ones that are maybe two or three times hotter than that original Pueblo chili. And believe it or not, those hotter lines, like I said, people that consume big quantities of chili really like it hot. I've heard that you actually don't like spicy things. Is that true? That That is true. I don't eat very much. My expertise, people always ask me, oh, what's your favorite salsa or the way to eat it? Or, and my expertise 
as far as the culinary aspects of it, fall off a very steep cliff right after the pepper is picked off the plant. So what I look for is, is somewhat hard to describe because I'm looking at so many factors when I'm selecting some of these and I'm, I'm looking for how the plant stands up, the, the architecture of the plant. And when I feel it, the, the pod, I want to make sure it has a density to it. And so there's things I wish I could describe it to you in, in details. And if I really thought about it, I probably could. But when I'm out there, I know what, what I like and I know what I like, like to select for. I'll go through hundreds and hundreds of plants in a particular year looking for that because I always feel like there's, there's always like a hidden gem out there. And uh, you find a plant, and if you find a plant that has a unique characteristic, I'll save the seed from that and see if it'll come true to form next year. The basic things are looking for a good plant architecture, nice pod size, good yield, but ultimately it's got to come down to flavor. So then how do you test the flavor? How do you, do, you, do you have some taste testers that you employ? And if so, how do I get on that list to be one? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, do, I do a little tasting myself. So I, I, I kind of avoid the heat of it because I just bite the very tip of it. So a lot of the capsaicin or that chemical causing compound that causes the heat sensation is located more toward the top end of the pepper. So if you just bite the tip, you don't get used of it. But, you know, I, I've thought about this immensely about how, how to get a good taste testing. And, uh, you know, uh, typically you'd employ a taste panel, usually of college students. Not that I think they're bad, but I I don't think they would necessarily have the experience. So I've got some good friends here, and some of them have been growing chili. Uh, Some of these, uh, a couple of ladies that I work with uh, and known for years, one of them is 86 years old. She's a wonderful beautiful lady just she she knows more about chili she's was been cooking and and preparing chili all of her life she grew up uh, raising chili and picking it and so what I do is I usually give her those chilies and I just says what do you think of that how does it roast she knows what it takes to prepare a wonderful meal because she's you know thousands of meals for her family over these decades that she's done it so I, I rely on people like that that have not only an understanding of the physical attributes of the chili, but some of those intangible things that we talked about, you know, how does it prepare and how does it add flavor to a particular dish? It seems like the Pueblo chili has really uh, brought a lot of attention to the area. Uh, There's the festival, the fun feud with, again, that that other chili down the road. Um, It's become a really popular vegetable is it a vegetable is it a fruit it it has seeds it's a veg it the 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 the, the uh, pot itself is technically a botan from a botanical perspective is a fruit but we call it a vegetable because that's the kind of the way it's used in culinary aspects is as a vegetable but it certainly has increased in popularity a lot and a lot of that can be attributed to some of the work that the Pueblo Chamber of Commerce has done. There was a, a man who was a director of the Pueblo Chamber of Commerce named Rod Slyhoff, who was a big cheerleader for that. Uh, I remember getting together with him now almost 30 years ago, and we sat down and how we, on ways we can promote the Pueblo Chile. And that was when we kind of had that brainstorming session to come up with the, um, the Chile and Frijoles Festival. In those early years, it was a very, very modest gathering, but he really ran with that over the many decades, and he, he really should be championed as the father of that festival, and uh, that festival has drawn a lot of attention, a lot of people to Pueblo, and really amplified it beyond the borders of Pueblo County, all up and down the Front Range. From that, it's been a catalyst for a lot of other entrepreneurial ventures as far as adding it to other types of food. I wonder, you know, it seems like also culturally it's become such a staple 
it's really become this this identifier for the area almost. And that's true. Like I said, it, it's woven into so many of our good memories. Even me and I. Now my background is of Italian descent, so my you know typically you don't associate hot chili peppers with that that kind of culture, but. That's what's so unique about the Pueblo area is that, you know, really that is a community that is consisting of immigrants from all over the world. And so Chile was the one thing that was woven, the thread that kind of bound all those different cultures together. So you can imagine all these different cultures that are coming to work in the area, whether it be for mining or farming. A big employer at that time was the steel mill, of course. And so that drew a lot of people from all over the world. But Chile was kind of the common denominator, and it it really became part of the binder to that community. And we can all share wonderful experiences. I remember even as a child myself how that was incorporated into our food and how, you know, it was so important to our family gatherings. It was always there. Does having kind of a, a trendy crop kind of help Colorado agriculture in general? Does that kind of get more people to think about where their food comes from? That's exactly right. And I think it's important that, you know, we obviously have a lot of attention looking at things like the Palisade peaches, the Olathe sweet corn, the Rocky Ford melons, Pueblo chili. Those are all iconic crops, but they help raise the, the ship for a lot of our agricultural products. Colorado is really a livestock producing state. And a lot of the things that are very important maybe don't get all the attention that they deserve. You know, potatoes, wheat, all those things are very important crops. Some of these other crops get a lot of fanfare, but I hopefully they, they help lift the boat for the entire agricultural industry. Okay, so my last question, uh, as the preeminent expert on Pueblo chilies, uh, what's the best way to serve them? What is your favorite dish? So I, I've gotten that question, and as, and as I mentioned, I my culinary expertise is... is very small. But to me, if you were to ask me what is the best way to eat them, it's, it's the way I grew up eating them. When I, I remember my grandmother would make fresh Italian bread and just having a roasted chili with a fresh piece of Italian bread was heaven. And that's what I think is really good about Pueblo chili is to maybe is to have it in its purest form. So for me, it's, it's with a fresh piece of Italian bread or a freshly made tortilla and just the chili itself, just roasted so you get that nice uh, charred flavor on the background and there's sweetness and there's spiciness all mixed in there. So to me, that's that's the true essence of eating a, a Pueblo chili. Well, now I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> and I bet our listeners are too. So that's probably a great thing to end on. Thanks so much for being with me today. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for again for the opportunity. And uh, I hope everyone gets a chance to eat some chili. That was Michael Bartolo, a Senior Research Scientist Emeritus at CSU's Arkansas Valley Research Center. I'm your host, Stacey Nick, and this is Colorado State University's new podcast, The Audit, featuring conversations with CSU faculty on everything from research to current events.